Happy Wednesday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And Jim, you brought us a fascinating guest tonight. What uh, what a pleasure this is going to be, and uh, and I can just tell already that this is going to be an interesting ride. Uh, it's uh, it's my privilege to welcome Dr. John Delemba. Uh, we're going to talk about his background, what he does currently, um, but it involves uh, it involves medicine, robots, helicopters, a little bit of everything. So uh, so Dr. Delemba, welcome. Thank you, thank you. It's it's actually a pleasure. Uh, I enjoy this. I did do it once before, but uh, no, th- th- this will be fun. Yeah, uh, John, thank you so much for being on the show. We did have a, a great time with you on the airport minute uh, and talking about uh, we had a we had a pregnant stewardess on there, so we got to talk some uh, uh, some part of your of your specialty, which is gynecology. So uh, we right. kind of brought you on here because uh, the, the the centerpiece of this particular minute is uh, young Jenny Blake getting chloroformed by uh, James Bond. <laughs> right. Timothy Dalton is uh, is soaking a rag in something that we're assuming is chloroform. Now I think it's safe to say that uh, the official policy of the Rocketeer minute is that we do not recommend this as a dating strategy, Jim. <laughs> Are you prepared to back I, me up I, on that? I'm, I'm right behind you there. All right, oh, we, uh, actually, we're, we're pretty old-fashioned on this show. So <laughs> actually, I was taking problem. notes. I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh dear. And wow. you'll see a spike in your practice next week. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about anesthesia in general. I mean, this uh, the chloroform trichloromethane. Correct. Uh, from what I've from what I've been reading about on the, the fabulous internet, it's a more early form of general anesthesia, and uh, I'm not exactly sure how anesthesia works, but I, I, th- I don't think I'm alone in that. I don't. I think that the process of anesthesia is still kind of a bit of a mystery. Is that is that right? Very much so. Um, they in fact they have a curtain up between the, what they're doing and and the surgical field, so they do whatever they need to do, and then we don't really get to see. Occasionally, we peek over, and, and most of them are reading Money Magazine. But other than that, they <laughs> they do an excellent job. <laughs> but it is a mystery on on what concoction of medications they do to put people to sleep, and then hopefully wake them up. Yeah. Now, I, I, I mean, most of your your work in anesthesia is just general, like topical or um, regional anesthesia, like the stuff that you handle yourself in your office. When- well, yeah. I, and that was what I used to do. I don't do any of that now. But yes, we just use some, you know, medications related to like Novocaine that everybody's aware of. It's, it's just different, longer or shorter acting than that, mm-hmm. that we would use in the office. But um, as far as as general anesthesia, no, I've never really ever done any of that. Um, and as far as chloroform goes, yeah, nobody's using that anymore or things like ether because they're so explosive. I mean, they're, they're and harder to control as far as, you know, bringing the patient in and out of Medicaid, of sleep. Right. A lot, a lot of the stuff nowadays is mostly intravenous. I mean, they're doing things like um, right. uh, fentanyl and that kind of, that kind of jet. And you're not trying to get people down as far as they used to be from what I'm understanding. Is that you just kind of... Uh, well, um, some of them are. And, and, you know, of course, if you read magazines or, or news stories, they go, this patient was awake because they mm-hmm. not only um, have to put them to sleep, but they also have to paralyze them. So they, they, because they, we don't want their muscles moving, especially, 
like when I'm doing robotics and everything is magnified 10 times, I don't want the patient moving because of 10 times magnification and they move an inch. It looks like 10 inches. Quite <laughs> so, a bump. Yeah. 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 Well, so. Wow. Well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, about your robotics. I mean, you've said for the for the past decade or so, you've been working more uh, on on the robotic side. That you're actually kind of you you're in a you're in another room with with you know, hand grips and pedals and things like that, operating where you you used to have to go in and make large incisions and stuff mm-hmm. like that to to get to where you need to fix things. Right. Well, I do stay in the same room, although you don't have to be. <laughs> my my patients would not be happy if they thought I was like at Starbucks yeah. you know, doing the surgery. <laughs> just using the Wi-Fi. Uh, exactly. Because, <laughs> Although, oh, I hope it stays up. <laughs> in 2001, they took a gallbladder out in Strasbourg, France, and the surgeon was actually in New York City. So uh, a lot of this technology was developed for NASA uh, because they, yeah, they thought that they could put these robots, you know, in Antarctica or or up yeah, in or on the, the on space, space station. station yeah. But the problem is there is a time delay. And so you actually still need a surgeon by the bedside in case of a complication. Because even if it's a fraction of a second, the blood vessel can sort of retract and fill up with blood. And now you're struggling. You know, it, 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 there's somebody needs to be there for those, those issues. And, of course, then they thought, well, we could put these robots in underserved areas and... and well, okay, but who's going to provide the maintenance and the electricity? <laughs> yeah. So it was a great concept, but not realistic. Some, somebody's got to take the hood off the thing to, get, to move it over to where the patient Yeah. So um, is it a hard sell for a patient to, uh, do you ever have to convince them, no, really, it's okay, I'm controlling the robot and the robot is cutting you? No, actually, I do. I, I, I put the instruments in, you know, and then we hook the robot up. So I'm actually doing the surgery. But there are actually some YouTube videos you can you can look at to uh, see the precision. One of them is actually done by a surgeon in Japan. I, I can't recall his name right off the bat, but it's just look for Da Vinci Origami. Yeah, and that, we 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 had that on on, on our, my other podcast. I, I was that that is one of the most fascinating oh, videos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a piece of paper that's smaller than a piece of than a penny, and or about the size of a penny. And the folds and the bends, everything that you make to make this origami are just phenomenal. You you, you really can't do that with a surgical instruments or or laparoscopically. So it's, it's an amazing technology that I think is is advancing surgery and other specialties have dived into it wholeheartedly surprisingly gynecology is sort of still dragging their feet it's it's amazing it is the closest thing i can think of is it's like it's a lot like that old movie fantastic voyage it's it's pretty much as close as you can get to operating at a microscopic level there's a camera there's lights there's all kinds of tools you can swap in and out And it's, uh, you know, it's a real ship in the bottle kind of thing. (laughs) And and of course, I feel like I had an advantage because, you know, having my four, uh, I had a a twin engine airplane and would fly up in the flight levels. And I was on autopilot a lot. And and of course, as a flight instructor, I'm also monitoring, you know, what the student would do. So, uh, you know, I'm used to an aircraft, maybe even doing a better job at some things than I could do. I mean, look at landing a a Cat 3 airplane to a, a... you know, in, in zero, zero weather, you better have a coupled autopilot or you're not, you're not going to get it. You know, wow. it. It's funny. I wouldn't have thought of those parallels immediately, mm-hmm. but there is something strong there about, uh, yes, yes. you know, as, as pilots with more and more technology in the cockpit, mm-hmm. there's uh, there's a systems management piece of it and there's a systems monitoring yes. piece of it. 
And as you said, you know, it's, I mean, flying even in the, the simplest of vintage airplanes, much less something where we're talking about Cat 3 approaches and couple dollar pilots and mm-hmm. things like that. Even in those older airplanes, one of the core th- sort of principles about learning to fly is still sort of this constant understanding of knowing what to trust and when. Yes. You know, I trust my compass all the time. Well, except when I'm accelerating or decelerating (laughs) or making these turns. And, you know, I I can trust my attitude indicator, well, unless the vacuum pump fails. Well, I can trust my eyes unless there's clouds. I can trust my kinesthetic senses unless I can't see. Right. And and it's this uh, this constant thing. And as you said, then we can trust autopilots except when we can't. Uh, And it's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating concept. But I can see easily how those principles would uh, would translate so i'll tell you what you guys talk i'm going to do some robot surgery real quick <laughs> well then uh, that'll, that'll be two of us because i'm halfway through my surgery right now no no I'm just <laughs> for the I'll love right of god don't let us distract you <laughs> i don't want to be named in a malpractice I'll put, suit i'll put it on auto surgery so <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it's just Hit, hit the big red button, have another drink, and let's just sit back and relax. <laughs> back to the anesthetics is about, about the chloroform. And um, you see all sorts of movies where they put this in there. And the problem is if you put enough chloroform in there, everybody in the room is going to be affected. <laughs> yeah. 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 As, as I watch this, and I keep thinking about the, the you know, the villain in this, uh, Neville Sinclair, mm-hmm. he's carrying around a bottle of chloroform. Does he always carry that with him? Is it something, you know, it's like, I would think, oh, it, this, uh, you know, yeah. he goes he goes to like the hot dog stand and he's going to buy a hot dog and the guy goes, that'll be a dollar fifty, and he pulls out the chloroform. Yes, no, it won't. <laughs> I believe there'll be no charge today. And does he have two flasks? You know, right. one for scotch and one for chloroform and you know i guess you'd know very quickly when you undid the lid but yeah you just happen to have it on him the other part of it the other part of it is is that let's say okay he's chloroformed poor jenny here so she's gonna you know drop like a sack of potatoes and she looks like about 130 pounds sack of potatoes so what is he how is he gonna plan getting her out of the middle of this dance floor it just you know jim he's a man from the 30s okay they can carry women (laughs) they're not like us right i just be thinking about and, and, you know, she's going to, as we watch toward the end of the minute, she's, she wakes up in an upstairs. Well, I'm assuming that his henchman, Lothar, probably put her up on the second floor. But I would just right. picture him going bump, bump, bump. Up yes, the just somebody <laughs> thump up the stairs. You know, and it's it's funny, too. There's this wonderful transition as we see the, you know, sort of the animated rocketeer flying away over the Hollywood Hills. Then we've got that contour of the hills. And then we transition into sort of this nice crossfade or dissolve right to the uh, uh, some of the contours on the bed. Yeah, first of all, kudos there. for Disney for not, uh, you know, not making this a more lascivious moment than it needed to be <laughs> when we transferred from mountains to Jenny in bed. We, you know, we did that joke with uh, W.C. Fields being doubly yeah. charmed yeah. looking at her cleavage. <laughs> but it's a, a beautiful transition. It just folds in the satin, either the satin blanket or the pillow. And wasn't, but, it, thoughtful, wasn't it thoughtful of Neville to uh, touch up her lipstick so that it's perfectly... <laughs> she, exactly. She Looks like on the he bed. may have done her eyebrows, too, yeah. but, uh, you know... He's uh, he is one thoughtful thoughtful villain. But you know what I'm curious about, and there's no way of knowing, I, I suppose, without knowing sort of the dosage. But do you have any idea how long she would be out? No, and 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 that's the problem. For one, it doesn't act that quickly. You know, of course, 
anytime you see a movie, they, they do it and boom, they're out. Right. But if you gave enough to do that, they're probably not going to continue to breathe, yeah. which it still wouldn't happen that fast. I mean, it has to go up and affect the brain and for one, get into your system, affect the brain. There, there's a, you know, on a morbid side, I mean, we have a, a, you know, famous uh, entertainer that took, uh, you know, something related to it, Rufinol and uh, Rohypnol actually couldn't, uh, he, he quit breathing. So that's yeah. the problem. If you give it enough to put them under, they quit breathing. And of course, that's when they were giving this as an anesthetic, that's what the purpose of the doctor sitting there is he'd drip this on in the in the olden days, monitor the patient, you know, see them bleeding or breathing and, and making sure they're still alive and sometimes mm -hmm. taking the mask off and let them start to semi-wake up. But they just, you know, put it and then they pass out and wake up at some, you know, <laughs> advantageous time. Um, this doesn't happen that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, apparently uh, Neville was a, quite an accomplished anesthesiologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he's he he's to, nothing he if not a renaissance man. Yeah, you know, if he, if he uh, you know, he didn't need to make money in the movie business. All he had to do right. is just open a practice. I mean, that's, gosh, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then off to the golf course. It's just, Boy, <laughs> you know, Nazi spy, anesthesiologist, fencer, and number yeah. three box office star in America. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, it's amazing. It's just stunning. Uh, I, John, I hate to say it. He was almost the Bill Cosby of his day. but Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and now I hate myself. So let's move on. <laughs> Uh, uh, John, John, do you have like a regular anesthesia? Do you have a go-to guy or, or a girl that does Well, your... I do, but, you know, he also has to provide anesthesia to other doctors. And so, uh, you know, he's, actually he's one of my really good friends. And, and um, of course, he's no longer allowed to hang out with me. So, so <laughs> I only get to see him in the operating room, and that isn't as often as I like it. So... <laughs> <laughs> Does he give you an autograph every once in a while? <laughs> well, we both enjoy the same type of music, and, and it's R&B and hip-hop. And so we've developed this technique. Before the patient's in the room, we twin twerk. So, uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. so we don't do it in the middle of the case. Yeah, very while, often. They're, while they're asleep. So, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> what goes on in the OR stays in the OR. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so, you know, if the patient wakes up and sees this, nobody will ever believe them. So I think, I think you're fine. Nobody's no. going to buy that the surgeon and the anesthesiologist were twerking in the middle of a procedure. So uh, no, no, not during the middle, but I mean before the patient's in there because you know they're getting the room ready and and they're cleaning it, and so we got music playing and stuff. But but yeah, it, it, it's it's just like an airplane, you know, a commercial liner airliner. You know, below ten thousand feet, they you know it's pretty much a sterile environment in there. Sure. But you know, there are other times you you still have to talk to each other and, and you you know to to concentrate on sometimes it's a one two three four five hour surgery to not have some break in your mental thought process just would be would be brutal uh, uh, mentally it would just be very difficult. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I just keep picturing as they're going through this just tricky procedure and you're trying to decide whether you like Dick York or Dick Sargent as their your favorite Aaron <laughs> on Bewitched and just having a heated argument over that. <laughs> Don't and the only way to settle that is with a twerk off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Obviously. He's, he's better than I am, trust yeah. me. <laughs> wow. 
is positively surreal. Wow. Well, we have we have to we have we talked about it briefly on on my other podcast, but I think for for the Rocketeer uh, staff, we, you went from being a, a helicopter pilot in Vietnam to being mm-hmm. a, a gynecologist. And well, can, we, can we talk a little bit about how that particular journey went? Sure, um, and it it started even before that aspect, as as I was not a very I was a bad boy, and I flunked English and general math in public high school. So um, fortunately, my I was able to go to a military school and start ninth grade over, and I did very well. Then I went to college for a year, but after four years of military school in 1967-68, I sort of let loose a little bit, and of course got kicked out of college. <laughs> so then... <laughs> I see a little bit of a pattern here, I think. <laughs> so then uh, I was going to get drafted, and I, and there was no way I was going to go through the jungle, sleep in tents or anything like that. So the Army ha- had a warrant officer program because Army, Air Force, and Navy, you have to have a college degree because you have to be an officer to, to be a pilot. So un- unlike some of the other wars where I think sometimes they had sergeants that were able to fly in, in aviation, especially in the UK, right. pretty much everybody's officers now. And so it was a special program you went through and the joke was, oh, we can teach monkeys to fly helicopters. I think they did. Because <laughs> right after training, boom, right right to Vietnam. And I was 20 when I got over there. Came back uh, after a year in Vietnam and there were good and bad times over there. It was, you know, you get to answer a lot of questions about yourself. And then I came back and I was a flight instructor here in Texas. Went to night school and uh, took the college level exams and, and um, the, the aeronautical university called Embry-Riddle had an extension campus on post. So I did that. And and they gave me credit for aviation. So before I knew it, I was a junior <laughs> just wow. by just by do, doing, you know, going to school. And, and so then I really, because normally you sit there and you think, oh my gosh, four years, I'm going to be at this till I'm like 50. Um, and this, this sort of expedited it. And I love aviation. So when I um, had to go to the main campus in Florida at the time to uh, get my degree, I was newly married. Uh, the fuel crisis hit. <laughs> and of course, no airlines were hiring at the time after I applied to like 75 of them. So I moved back to Pittsburgh and worked at my dad's bar as a bartender. Then I got a job as a pharmaceutical sales rep. And, uh, you know, I, I had a nice territory and I used to go out there and call on the doctors. And I thought, oh my gosh, I thought you had to be really smart to be a doctor till I started calling on them. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> I can do this. So I went back to, uh, I did my pre medical training at, at, at University of Pittsburgh. And then at the age of, I did that for about a year and a half. Then at the age of 30, I got into medical school at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And so w- when I went there, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be you know family practitioner because I love to talk. I love to interact with my patients. But once I got in there, I walked into an operating room. Literally, it feels like I'm walking into the cockpit of an airplane. A very same feeling. So I thought, okay, I love surgery, but I'll be 30 four when I finished medical school, I need to make some money. <laughs> I mean, and the shortest surgical res- residency training program is five years for surgery, whereas gynecology is four. And the patients are a lot healthier. And it's kind of a fun specialty because the patients, there is a component of family practice there. Patients, you know, you have big interaction, whereas general surgery, they can mean take their gallbladder, you might not ever see them again. So that's what guided me towards 
towards gynecology. But one of the, and this is sort of <laughs> not the only factor, but it, along with television and movies, there's a movie out there, and it was, I think it was called um, with, with Jerry Lewis, where he was the disorderly orderly. And he literally got every disease that he was, you know, dealing with when he had those, you know, pushing the patients around. Well, guess what? I, that happened to me. Every disease I studied, I felt that I got. One time I was studying and my wife looked at me and she said, are you okay? She thought I was having a stroke. My face was getting, it was paralyzed because that's what I was reading about. And then of course, going to the bathroom, I, I thought I, I have colon cancer now. My, the caliber's changing on my stool, oh my God. You know, <laughs> and Lord. and so in gynecology, I'm home free. <laughs> you know? So, so that was one of the things that pushed me over into it. And then, of course, I I came down to Texas after I finished my four year training there, and I was 38, and and I've been here ever since. And but I've always always focused on on surgery. And of course, the last like 18 years, it's been all endometriosis and laparoscopic surgery. And then the last 10 plus have been robot. <laughs> A little bit about my back, a lot about my background there. So. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, you've, yes, you've, yes, you've followed absolutely. your bliss. So there, and there you are. And before we get much further, thank mm-hmm. you very much for your service. We, well, thanks. Thanks. Uh, we appreciate and, it. Well, and of course, I don't know if I told you this, Jim, um, but this is a fascinating aspect. When I was in Vietnam, I did not think I was coming back. I just had a feeling. You know how you get a feeling sometimes? So I didn't buy anything. I didn't buy cameras or you know equipment to listen to the music, anything. But I did buy a little wooden statue. And I had it all the way up until about eight years ago when my ex-wife threw it away in anger. So, <laughs> But are you ready for this? I took it on every mission and it sort of became like a good luck charm. It was a statue of a pregnant woman. Really? I, That's yeah, amazing. I only wanted aviation in my life. I never thought of being a doctor ever. And I sometimes think, did I make it back because I was destined to do what I do now? I don't know, but it was it was a, it was a fascinating. Uh, um, it, yeah, it led you yes, here. I mean, that's, yes, that's exactly. Ama- and. And I know that you're, you know, the work that you do with, uh, you're kind of an evangelist for the Da Vinci oh system gosh. in, at least in Texas yes. and everywhere, yes. pretty much. I mean, I know people call you in for consultations and stuff. It does seem to be the future. We've, we've had on our, on our program, we've had people that have been talking about the future of things like, uh, jet packs mm-hmm. and, uh, and transportation sure. and solar power and things like that. And, and really when, when I talk to you, it, I can hear the future in your voice when you explain about how Da Vinci works. It, oh, it's yeah. obviously, it's going to, ex- we're not at the very beginning of it, but we're kind of still in the beginning of where this is all going to expand definitely star trek was was the guiding light (laughs) we are going to see bones out there (laughs) uh certainly not in my lifetime probably not in any of our lifetime but certainly in the not too distant future yeah it's an it's an exciting time to be a part of this you know there was um i can't remember and there's the old story about the fellow that uh worked in the patent office in the 1890s and he he said he was going to quit because everything had been invented already exactly and and, you know it's like we're so there's so many things that uh hal and i have come across on, on on this show that it's it's mind-boggling it is. Um, one, one of the interests that uh, that john and i both share how is uh is electric cars um john <laughs> john drives uh john drives the only brown tesla i've ever seen <laughs> but it's brown for a reason because as as a pittsburgh uh a pittsburgh guy he is the number one Steelers <laughs> ah. fan. So 
it is well, uh, well my license heavily plate for that car is Steeler One. I and I think you do know, Jim. I have a second one now because I, I heard that you're getting the new yeah, one. Yeah, I, I didn't realize you received yeah, it. Yeah, and it's actually Steeler Two. <laughs> and my so <laughs> again, there's a pattern in my life. Um, and my daughters are driving the brown one. Mine's black. Ah, okay. And I did just go to an event on Saturday. Um, our U.S. Congressman Michael Burgess uh, sponsored it, and it was you know sort of uh, you know uh, the environment and things like that. So they asked for for green cars to be there, and so they had a Model X and my Model S, and they had a Volt there and and other cars. And it actually was really funny because people came up and, and I'd be talking to them, and they said, "So how long have you been working for Tesla? Are you one of their salesmen?" And I'm like, "No, I'm a gynecologist." <laughs> What's Elon doing? Exactly. <laughs> you know, they might need one on staff. I guess you, right, you yeah. never know what sort of employee <laughs> benefits smoke. package they might, uh, they might exactly. offer over there. So you have a Model S, and then what's yeah. your other one? They're both S's. Both one's S's. a 2013, and the new one's a 2017. With It's capable of all autonomous, but he just hasn't released it. Um, so what, 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 what size battery did you get on? I got the 60, but it is really a 75. Um, I just okay. have to give him a little bit more money. And he went from, <laughs> throw the switch. Yeah. He went from 7,000 down to 2,000 uh, a couple months ago. And so I'm waiting for him to say, okay, I'm just going to unlock it. And, and, and that'll give me a 250 mile range versus 200. Wow. Yeah. I, I have to say about the magnanimity that that John uh, did. For, I've I've been I've been looking at Teslas forever. I've been trying to I've been trying to figure out whether I can fit it into my life. And the more I looked at them, the more I wanted to do it. And I'd taken a test drive, but I was thinking, can this work? You know, on a day to day basis, could I do things? And uh, and John was going on a trip, and he said uh, we, we met on Facebook, and he said, you know, if if you want, you can. You can give me a ride to the airport and I'll let you drive my car while I'm you know, on vacation. <laughs> oh, sure thing. And, this is the best way uh, to get somebody to take you to the airport that I have ever heard. <laughs> by the way, I am. That I, is brilliant. Yeah, and John, if you ever if you ever need a ride, I, I'm I'm always there for you, buddy. Uh, but, Heck, I'll fly uh, down and pick I you got, up at the airport. <laughs> I just need a ride back. <laughs> but there, there is such a there is such a thing about it about a Tesla, and I know my my children, my my friends are all sick and tired of me <laughs> evangelizing about Tesla. But when you drive after you've driven a, a, a Tesla, when you get back in a gasoline powered car, you feel so let down yeah. because it's such a yep. it's like driving a slot car. It, there's, only, there's there's no way to describe the acceleration. You were you 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 step on the accelerator and you're sitting in the back seat all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It's that much of yeah. a, a pull. You have to hang on to the steering wheel. It goes. It, you know, it, it goes as far as you want. People worry about range and things, but I can't imagine going as far as the battery can take you. And it, it, we have in Texas, we have a, an electric plan that you can get free nights. So if you plug in overnight, you get free fuel for the rest of the life of your car. And you know, pretty. I mean, you can drive across country. The newer ones, you have to they, they charge a nominal fee for for recharging as you go. Right. It's so it, even though it's a more expensive car than your standard gas car, it, it over the operating cost. Of it is it's it's ridiculously cheap. Yeah. No more no more oil changes. No more yeah. be- fan belts and all that jazz. It's I, I'm I'm preaching. I know I'm preaching to the choir, John. But it's That's just okay. it's, well. The thing is, I have both of my cars have lifetime as far as the life of the car is free charging at the Tesla 
chargers. And so I live in an apartment and, and I don't have a way to charge. I only get free charging and it's, it's about 35 miles each way for me to, to work. I live in Plano, Texas and drive to a place called Denton, Texas. So I'm always charging, but it's free. My daughter is driving from Denton to Arlington and there's some now chargers in Arlington and she's using my brown car and it was killing her in gasoline. And now She's charging in Denton and charging in Arlington, charging in Denton, charging in Arlington. It's free. <laughs> if, if, you, you have to you have to change your whole thinking yes. about it because it's like it's more like the way you keep an iPhone. You know, you just kind of plug in at night, or if you plug you know you plug in and charge it up when you're when you're on, on your downtime. It, it it's such a it's such a change in your yep. life. It's such a simplification in your yep. life. But it yeah. Anyway, if what my suggestion would be for for uh, listeners, if if you're near a Tesla uh, place, sign up for a test drive and try it. <laughs> Although it will ruin your life because then you want a Tesla. I was going to say uh, the. Uh, I'm going to have to explain to my wife in the morning why I've, I've suddenly gone over to their website and made a deposit tonight. And, and all I could tell her is, I don't know, honey, the cool kids each have them, so yeah. I don't know. But honey, he's he's a guy yes, in colleges. He knows these and, and it is, because it's fun for me because I no longer, on especially on the highways, drive my car. I'm drinking my coffee and I'm like being a flight instructor again, letting the, the student drive it. You know, you got to be alert in case there's a problem, but, but it's driving. You know, even traffic, no traffic, it, it'll change lanes if I put the turn signal on, on, it, on its own. I mean, it just, it's... <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a thing called the Tesla grin. And when you're, when you're sitting, when you're driving a Tesla, you get this stupid grin on your face that you're like, this is amazing. This is the future. This is like, you yeah. know, it's, you, there should be like a flux capacitor in the back seat that that's the only way to describe it. Um, I'm just trying to figure but, out. Uh, I, I want to see the Da Vinci robot driving the Tesla <laughs> with you in the back, John. I think that would be that would be the, spectacular. Or the Tesla doing the surgery. Well, there you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just don't let the bosses ever see that. You know. Yes. Right. Just, just make sure you're there. Oh no, it's me. I'm still here and in charge. Ignore the yeah, car in the out? operating room. <laughs> is she out? Okay, bring yes, in the Tesla. Exactly. <laughs> oh, she's not out? Get more chloroform. Where's Timothy Dalton? Exactly. <laughs> wow. Well, this has been an illuminating... We haven't talked that much about the Rocketeer, but this has been a very illuminating um, Another minute. fascinating I, ride. I, I do love the scene. I, I, one thing I do love in this in this scene, the one the, the, the little bit of, uh, of special effects here is that scene of the Rocketeer flying over what would later be where the Getty Museum is in uh, Oh, in isn't LA. that gorgeous? You see the yeah. Egyptian theater down there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just that that two that two axis turn where he's coming out of one axis the the, the Hollywood flies toward the camera. That that's a very typical ILM uh, Industrial Light and Magic picture where they use two axes to uh, fly in and mm. out. And it, what it does is if you have a little model like that Rocketeer fellow, even though he seems to be moving from one large panoramic view to another. Uh -huh. He doesn't, if you just look at the Rocketeer himself, he only moves a little bit from the middle right to the middle right. left. And it's the background that's doing all the heavy lifting. Okay. So it's uh, just a very nice uh, use of a panorama. Hmm. So yeah. anyway, that was you know a little bit of, little bit of special effects, but it's about the only film effect that's really big in this. And, well, that and the match the matching scene of how how much the Hollywood Hills look like a satin sheet. <laughs> that was I, I found that fascinating. I really did. I'm like, wow! Oh look, it's it's the bed. <laughs> it was just a 
just a beautiful little touch. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, and uh, and we we get to wind up with uh, you know the perfectly coiffed, perfectly uh, make up uh, Jennifer <laughs> right. Connelly getting yes. out, getting out after of anesthetized. Oh. Yes, <laughs> yes. But she's lit a fire for her for crying out loud. I mean, he, yeah, yes. this is the best recovery, yeah. the best recovery yeah. room ever. Yes. Yeah. As date rapists go, I guess <laughs> Timothy Dalton is among the more considerate. He's he's yeah he's a, just a charming kidnapper. Just a, well, John, thank you so much for being on our on our show. Uh, as as I have more podcasts, I will be calling you okay, back for great, some technical great. technical information. And uh, for uh, folks, we do have a, a a brief bio of of John's work there. Really, uh, if you have uh, work or need, or if you're if your uh, OBGYN people don't know about uh, Da Vinci, turn them on to that because it's it it is an amazing thing. And John John is quite an evangelist. Uh, here in Texas for for this sure. product, I, I, every time I go and look at look, look up your stuff on on websites and things, I'm just amazed at what they can do. We will have a, a link to the uh, the uh, origami, the microscopic <laughs> origami, which is astonishing, uh, on this episode page. For folks wanting to follow along on the conversation, we have a lot of places you can do this in social media. Find us on uh, Twitter at Rocketeer Minute. Find us on uh, Facebook at ro- Facebook.com/slash/Rocketeer Minute. Go to the big site RocketeerMinute.com and catch up on all of our previous episodes. We are always available on iTunes. And Google Play, just go there, type in Rocketeer Minute, and click subscribe, and you get this episode and previous ones delivered hot and fresh every morning. Join us tomorrow as we find out what Jenny's going to do as she's uh, snooping around in uh, Neville's evil lair. But we'll see you here tomorrow on the Rocketeer Minute. So until next time, over and out. Thank you. Get it, kid.